0: Today I'll be reading from 1 Samuel 8:6 through 9. But uh, when they said, "Give us a king to lead us," this displeased Samuel. To he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, "Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king, as they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking." Me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now, listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Morning, everyone. Thanksgiving meal as a church, and so that's uh, tonight at 5 p.m. If you can, uh, a flock note was sent out with a sign-up sheet or a sign-up app, and also you can check out our church Facebook page, and there's a a sign-up app that you, or link that you can follow there to sign up, and so if you'd like to bring something, you can do it that way as well. Uh, Something that was given to me here just a second ago, I'm going to read, but it's a message from uh, uh, Romina Robinson, as uh, we've been uh, praying for her for a while She's been pretty sick lately, and she said, To those who follow our Lord Jesus, thank you for your kind gesture of sending flowers to brighten my day. Thank you also for your prayers that have sustained me. I'm trying to get stronger every day, your sister in Christ, Romina. So I know a lot of you have asked about Romina and Rob Is her husband is here today and continue to lift the Robinson family up in prayers as she struggles to continue to recover. All right, go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel. Uh, chapter one. That's where we're going to be. Um, we'll be through 1 Samuel chapter one, verses 15 this morning. And uh, there is uh, this is a time of transition that we're going to see in Scripture. And remember, we started in September, and we're going through the Bible called God's Love Story. It's a program that leads us through Genesis from Genesis through Revelation, and we'll finish up Revelation in May. But our Bible classes and the lesson on Sunday morning all dovetails with the same material. So all of us can be reading and talking about the same material as we go through. There's some uh, uh, handouts in the back that you can pick up so that you can read along with the church if you'd like to. And it's just a great thing to be able to see how from the very beginning of time to the very end, God continues to reach out to mankind and show that he really genuinely loves us and wants to heal us and wants us to... wants to bring us into his presence. And it's uh, powerful every week the readings somehow touch my heart and help uh, convict me and encourage me to uh, walk in a way that honors God. Now, if you remember in the weeks before here, the last little while, we talked about the time of the judges, for example. And as God's plan was, as he brought them up out of Egypt, his plan as he settled them in the land of Canaan was that he was going to be their king. They weren't going to have a physical king that sat on a throne that had a gold crown, but they were going to have a king that was invisible. God himself would be their king. And the plan was for them to live on this inherited land that they had and to just enjoy life and celebrate the festivals that God had given. And it was going to be awesome. It was going to be amazing. But in practice, what happened When you read the book of Judges, the last verse says that during the time of the Judges, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. In other words, God had this great plan set out, but mankind blew it. And that's not the first time. It won't be the last time. But this plan that God has is amazing, and mankind says, yeah, forget that. We're going to worship these other gods. We're going to chase these other things. And it just becomes this great heartache. Even in the middle of all of it, you have the story of Ruth and Boaz, who was a, a great man of God, that he just lived quietly and honored God in spite of all the drama and the disaster that was happening around him. But Ruth shows the ideal of what was supposed to happen during the time of the judges. But that, wasn't, that was the, the exception instead of the rule. And so when we get to 1 Samuel, we have a few different characters that show up in this great transition and a time of temptation. And we're going to start with a man named Eli. Now, Eli was a priest who was serving at the tabernacle at that point in time. You guys like that picture? i got some more fun pictures coming up. Um, so Eli was a, was a man of God, a tremendous individual. And we don't know a whole lot about him because the story continues on with some other people that lived during the same time that interacted with Eli. What we know about him is that he was a man of God that served at the temple there as a priest. But he had some sons that were bad dudes, and we're going to get to those here in just a minute. But in the middle of all of this, there's a godly family with a, a wife, Elkanah and, and Hannah are their names, and there's an, another wife that is in the picture as well. But Hannah, as they come up to celebrate the feasts every year in the, um, at the tabernacle, there's something that's weighing very heavy on the heart of Hannah is that she has not been able to bear children, and that's a big deal. And even though she has a husband that loves her deeply and provides for her, she feels empty because she has not been able to have children, and it's really, really tough on her. And so as she is worshiping God, she goes in and she is, is mouthing this prayer. There's nothing that's coming out vocally, but she is just pouring her heart out to God as she is in, in just anguish of soul, and Eli sees this, and he doesn't handle it well, probably, but he says, woman, why are you drunk already and you've come in here to worship God? You need to not do that. And she says, no, you misunderstand me. I'm not drunk. I'm just so burdened at heart. And Eli says, may God be with you and answer your prayer. And what Hannah vows to God is that if you will give me a child, then I will dedicate him "...to the service of the Lord all the days of his life." And the firstborn in Israel were dedicated to God. But she goes some other steps here, and she says, "...my son, I will bring him to the tabernacle to serve all the days of his life." And not only that, but he will be a Nazarite from birth. That's the vow that the Hebrews would take to abstain from grapes. They wouldn't shave. You know, there's, there's all sorts of things that are uh, part of the Nazarite vow. But what it was is a time that a person would dedicate themselves to the service of the Lord." And Hannah says, my son will do that. I will offer him to the service of the Lord. And so what happens is God hears her prayer like he always does, and he answers in a powerful way. And he, uh, and we have Hannah give birth to Samuel, and she uh, raises him up until he is able and then brings him to the tabernacle and introduces him to Eli and says, this, I'm the one that you remember maybe from years ago that had great burden of heart praying for my child, and here he is, God has answered my prayer. And Hannah was blessed with other children as well. But she leaves Samuel there in the service of the Lord. And every year she would come back and she would bring him a cloak. And he served, he lived there in the, temp- or the tabernacle, and he served there. Well, one night, as uh, the historian Josephus says, the tradition of the Jews at that time was that Samuel was 11 years old when this happened. And he, how many is anybody eleven here? All right, we've got some eleven-year-olds. We got a few here, right? So just imagine Samuel is about your age, and he is hears the voice of God, and he misunderstands. He thinks Eli is talking to him, but he uh, Eli says, "No, you, God's speaking to you. You just need to listen." And so when God approaches him and speaks to him, this is what he says: Luke in chapter three, verse eleven. It says. And the Lord said to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears it tingle. At that time I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons blasphemed God and he failed to restrain them. Therefore I swore to the house of Eli that the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. And so Eli knew about this. And the text shares that there was a prophet that came and shared this with Eli. There's going to be consequences because of the way your sons are acting. And Eli did confront his sons, but he did not remove them. And God tells Samuel, 11-year-old Samuel, that you, this is what's going to happen. So the next morning, you can imagine, Eli is excited to hear the word of the Lord. And Samuel, you bring Samuel in and says, what did God have to say? Now, if you're 11 years old, do you want to share that message with Eli? No, I don't want to share that. I wouldn't want to share that at any age. But Eli says, don't be afraid. What did God say to you? And Samuel shares it. And Eli doesn't take it out on Samuel, this child. He says "May God's will be done. And He wrestles with that, but he accepts it. In the course of time, um, he, Eli's sons, uh, they're, it says they were scandals, scoundrels. And part of what that included is, the Ladies that would work in the tabernacle there he the his sons would sleep with them, and they would steal sacrifices, just terrible, terrible stuff that uh brought blaspheme on god 's name and uh, and so ultimately, what happens is they are killed in battle um, Eli when he hears that the Ark of the Covenant has been taken uh, he falls over backwards, he breaks his neck and he is uh, he's killed instantly there really sad story that happens there, but what in the course of time, what happens is the Israelites find some place in their hearts to repent. And the, it says that the Ark of the Covenant, and if you didn't read it, you should read through this section. It's phenomenal because the Philistines get the Ark for a while, and it doesn't go very well for them. For wherever they take the Ark, bad things happen, whether it be diseases or the idols falling down and, and the heads falling off and all that. And so they send it back say, Israel, we don't want this. Take it back. It's scary. We don't want this Ark anymore. No way, we're done with it, and um, and so it goes and it, it rests there in Israel for twenty years. And in the court, and what happens is there's some sort of spiritual revival that that takes place. And look what happens here in First Samuel chapter seven, verse uh, verses two through four. It says, "Then all the people of Israel turned back to the Lord. There's this revival. There's a return to God's message." And it says, So Samuel said to all the Israelites, If you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the asterisks and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve Him only. And He will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the Israelites put away the Baals and the asterisks and served the Lord only. And God brings about this great victory. They go out to battle with the Philistines and God uses a lot of thunder at this time, uses a great storm and terrifies the Philistines and they turn against each other and God brings about a great victory and there's peace there and the Israelites turn back to God. And Samuel, it says, he continues to be the leader of Israel all the days of his life. Now, we don't know a whole lot about this time period in the life of Samuel. We're going to learn a lot about the time, life of Samuel after he is old. But he spends his time, we understand, going from place to place and uh, helping people uh, turn to God and settling their disputes, and teaching people about what God is all about. But you see what happens. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, and accepted bribes and perverted justice. Now, we don't know why all the sons of Eli and the sons of Samuel turned and decided to to pursue what was dishonest and dishonorable. We don't know all the the answers to that. But what we do know is that it was a bad decision on on the part of Samuel here to say, hey, I'm going to appoint you, my sons, who are dishonest, to be the leaders of Israel. And it, it, it doesn't go. But this time what happens is the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, You are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as the other nations have. But they said, Give us a king to lead us. This displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. Now let's unpack that. And what they say here is this is pretty destructive. or pretty it, It hurts Samuel's heart deeply. It is destructive, and we'll get to that. But it makes him sad for a few different reasons. Because he's come face to face with his sons and not honoring God. But you notice what they say here is, we want you to appoint a king to lead us. We see all these other nations out here that have kings that lead them into battle. And we don't have one. This king that we're supposed to have, he's invisible. We can't touch him. He's this God up there somewhere. This is just too hard this way. This isn't working. We want something different. And when you read back into the old law, God prepared for this. As he said, you are not to have a king. But when you do have a king, this is what's going to happen. There's going to be all these burdens that this king is going to place on you. And the king must be this way. He can't have a lot of horses, he can't have a lot of gold, he can't have a lot of wives that are foreign, because it's going to bring destruction. Exactly like David Eater brought up in, in Bible class. Exactly what, Solomon, exactly what Solomon did, they were supposed to do the opposite of that, right? And so God was planning for this. because God knew somehow the hearts of people that his ideal situation where he could be this king of a nation was going to ultimately fail because we as people can't walk by faith that way or couldn't at that point in time. And it turned into this time where people did what was right in their own eyes. And so they say, give us a king to lead us. We want to be like these other nations around us. We want a king to lead us. And, man, just just do this. And Samuel prays to the Lord because his heart is broken. And you can imagine, as he has spent his entire life trying to turn people's hearts back to God, it's like he's, imagine he's wrestling with, did I fail here somewhere? And the Lord said to him, listen to all the people are saying to you, if it is not... You they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so that they are, so they are doing to you. Now, you see what God says here is, <laughs> Samuel, this is nothing new for me. I know your heart is troubled, but this has been happening from the moment I brought them up out of Egypt. This is exactly how these people, generation after generation, roll. They will not listen to me. Their hearts get hard. He says, Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know that the king who will reign over them will claim has his rights. And in the next verses after this, what he talks about is that God is, or excuse me, this new king, since you want a king, you can have him. But this is what it means is that He's going to take your sons to be His servants. He's going to have them run in front of His chariots. He's going to make them be soldiers. He's going to make them be farmers that take care of His crops. And He's going to take some of you, your sons, to be to be in His service. He's going to take your daughters to be cooks. He's going to take your daughters to be perfumers, to be cleaners, all of that. And He's going to take the best of your properties, and He's just going to take them away from you. And He's going to give them to His servants as hey you've been good to me so i'm going to take this vineyard and i'm going to give it to somebody else you're not going to like that when it happens and not only that is he's going to tax you to death now think of it, now that should have caused a big red flag right there right he's going to he's going to take a whole lot of your best whatever it is and he's going to take it from you for for him is that really what you want you need to understand that this is what you're signing up for here and the people say, no, give us a king. That's what we want. And Samuel says, fine, this is what's going to happen. And Saul is appointed king. But this is what Samuel says years into Saul's kingship. And we're going to go back and talk about Saul here in just a second. He says, but when you saw the Nahash, king of the Ammonites, was moving against you, you said to me, no, we want a king to rule over us, even though the Lord our God was your king. You had it good. You just didn't realize it. Now here is the king you have chosen, the one you ask for. See, the Lord has set a king over you. If you fear the Lord and serve him and obey him, and do not rebel against his commands, if both you and the king who reigns over you follow the Lord your God, then good. But if you do not obey the Lord and if you rebel against his commands, his hand will be against you as it was against your ancestors. So, in other words, you've got a king, this is what you ask for, but things haven't changed, really, Because it boils down to, are you going to give your heart to God or not? That's what the issue is here. Nothing has changed, okay? The grass is not always greener, and you're going to find that out. So Saul is appointed king. Uh, God, in fact, chooses Saul uh, to to be a king here. And it says that Kish, and that's Saul's father, had a son named Saul, as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel, and he was a head taller than anyone else. Now, why are you ladies all smiling right now? What? Yeah. Hey. Okay. So this is Thor. I've been told by some of the ladies in my house that he's easy on the eyes, you know, that sort of thing. Okay. That's the that's Saul. Is that you looked at him and thought that is the guide that we want to be our king. He's great. And through a various course of events, and God uh, revealed that Saul is the one that he was going to, uh, that Samuel was to anoint as king. He is anointed as king. And if you turn to chapter 10, 1 Samuel chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, I'm going to read this. It says, As Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart. And all these signs were fulfilled that day. And when, he and, his servant at, when he, he and his servant arrived at Gibeah, a procession of prophets met him. The Spirit of God came powerfully on him, and he joined in their prophesying. And so what's, what happens here is that Saul, as he is appointed the king, says that the Spirit of God comes on him. His heart is changed. He's changed into a different person. And Saul goes out, and in the next while he saves the town of Jabesh. He does some amazing things that honor God and brings and unites Israel. And there's great joy in some of what God is doing there. But even as we know, even when God's spirit dwells within us or empowers us like it did with Saul, it st- we still have the option to dishonor God and walk away from him. Look at the example of, of uh, Samson. And that's a great example there. It says the Spirit of God came on him several times, but Samson made terrible moral choices. And we're going to see with Saul is that at one point, at this point in time, he's a humble guy, but things change as we go along. And there's a, a, a phrase that complete power uh, corrupts completely. And uh, that's the type of thing that we're going to see in the life of, of Saul. And in chapter 13, we're going to see that uh, Saul does something that uh, I think we can see there's, this is part of the start of his downward spiral, is that the Philistines have gathered, they've amassed this big army there, and it's terrifying. This is the army to end Israel. They're going to march through Israel, and they're gonna, going to eliminate this people there. That uh, they just, They're going to be gone. And so Saul and his army is gathered together, and Samuel apparently tells him, "...I will be there within seven days." And we'll consult with God. And Saul waits and Saul waits and Saul waits and Saul waits. And it gets to the seventh day, and it says that his army is deserting right and left. People are running back to their homes. They're terrified because this great army is there before them. And when the time passes for Samuel to arrive, Saul gets scared. And he says, oh, no, no, this is not okay. This is, this is bad. This Samuel's not here. We've got to consult God. I'm not sure what we're supposed to do here. And so instead of waiting for Samuel... Saul builds an altar, brings some uh, sacrifices there, and Saul, as a king, was given the rights as a king to lead Israel. But he was not to be a priest, and he was still to submit to the voice of the prophets when God sent prophets. He didn't have unlimited power in the, the kingship of Israel. What happens is Saul starts taking these, these offerings, and he puts himself in, he does what only priests are supposed to do. And what happens is Samuel arrives, and he sees all this happen. He says, you have done a foolish thing. You have not kept the command the Lord our God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. And so even at this point in time, Saul has been told, your heart is not right before God, and I've chosen someone else. Saul, God is, God is very displeased with you. Man, it's got to be tough on Saul at this point in time. But we're going to see from the character of Saul, instead of owning sin immediately, he has a tendency to blame everyone around him, including Samuel. Yeah. I wouldn't have to do this if you would have showed up on time, right? That's where we see the, the heart of Saul is very lacking. As time goes on, there's uh, uh, chapters 14 and 15. I'll read some of what happens here. Go ahead and turn to chapters 14 and 15. The Amalekites become a, a very powerful nation on another side of Israel after Israel has routed the Philistines. What happens in, uh, in chapter 15, uh, Samuel approaches Saul and says, God's got a plan, you are to destroy the Amalekites. They're a people that is wicked to their very core, and uh, you're going to destroy them. And what happens is the armies of Israel go out and they destroy the Amalekites, except what happens is they save the best of what the Amalekites had, including the king, and they bring all of this good stuff back. So when Samuel goes to look for Saul, he uh, tries to find him, and the people say, oh, Saul has gone up to this place in order to build a monument to himself in honor of this great victory that he's had. You see what Saul's doing? Is Saul is, is not this humble guy from the tribe of Benjamin now like he was before, he is king, and he is great, and look at me, and I'm amazing, and all of that. And Samuel finds him, and you read the exchange, what happens is Samuel says, why did you not follow the commands of God? And Saul says, I did. I destroyed everything. And then I brought back the king, and the men brought back all these other animals to sacrifice to God. You know, that's what we're doing here. We did serve God. But look at chapter 15. I'll start reading in verse Samuel, or 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 17. Because this is a, a famous passage here that really speaks to uh, some important spiritual concepts. It said, all, Samuel said, "...although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission." saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag their king. The soldiers took the sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. I'll read a little more here in just a second, but do you see what Saul's doing? It's everybody else's fault here. He's not owning it. He will, but he's not owning it yet. Man, do you see what happens here, though? If we rewind in our mind back to the Battle of Jericho when the Israelites, before they had a king, Joshua crossed over with the Israelite armies, and they marched around Jericho, and the walls fell, and they took Jericho, and then there was sin in the camp because one person, Achan... Looked at that Babylonian robe and he thought, oh, that's a pretty robe. I've got to have that robe. I know we're supposed to destroy it, but I'm not going to. I want it. He takes it. He takes some gold, takes some silver. And there's because of that sin in the camp, there's destruction there because of it. And what Saul does is he does something very similar. God has said, this people is so evil that I'm going to destroy them, and you are to do this. When Saul goes in there, instead of destroying everything as God has said, they see all this beautiful stuff and say, oh, we're going to take that. And it's one thing if there's sin in the camp from somebody. It's something different when the sin in the camp is led by the king himself. And that's what Saul does here. And what what is said next is important for us always to remember. It says in verse 22, Samuel said, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. (laughs) For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. In other words, Saul, you say that all this stuff was brought back in order to honor and worship God, and to sacrifice to God. God cares more about obedience than he does about any type of religious ritual. In fact, what you did is equal to idolatry. And that really gets Saul's attention, and there's some confession, there's some repentance that happens there. But after this day, it says that until the day Samuel died, he did not go see Saul again. Though Samuel mourned for him, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. And that's where this section finishes. And it's tough because Israel asked for a king and got exactly what they asked for. And it wasn't what they bargained for the think about this, there's a bunch of uh, lessons that we can learn from this, and there's a couple I just want to share for us to think about, is that um, you know, just because God is, for any one of us, has called us to follow him, called us to become Christians and to honor him, doesn't mean that just because the Spirit of God comes and lives in us to transform us, does not mean that evil cannot overtake us. We see that with uh, Eli's sons and Samuel's sons. Even though they had examples of fathers that were honorable, the kids chose something very different. And there was destruction in the lives of other people because of it. But Saul, he was small in his own eyes, or he was humble at one point in time. And as time went along, he took so much pride in himself, started making uh, monuments to himself. Pride is dangerous, And ultimately led to his downfall because instead of submitting to God and saying, God, whatever you want, I'm on board with it. He ends up, even after he is told the kingship has been taken from him, he grabs onto it and says, no, this is mine. It's going to be mine and I'm going to fight to hang on to it. And because he took that path, man, there's all sorts of heartache and destruction that follow. Really tough stuff. When we become people that are territorial, that mine, this is it, I am am bigger than the mission of God, then really destructive things happen in our lives, because it's just pride is all that is. Think about something else here. There's a phrase that uh, I've, I've shared, is that the grass isn't always greener. You know what that means? The idea being that sometimes we can look out and think, boy, life would be better over here or something would be better somewhere else. The grass must be greener over there. But once we get there, we realize that it's got its problems as well. Maybe it's not all that great. Um, Israel said, boy, we want to have a king just like all the other nations. Wouldn't that be great? That's what we want. Samuel says, it's not all it's cracked up to be. He we don't care. We want it. We've got to have it. And Samuel, with God's blessing, says, okay. And Israel gets it. There's a phrase that I came across this week that I've thought about a lot. It says, The devil doesn't come dressed in a red cape and pointy horns. He comes as everything you've ever wished for. Think about that. Because all sorts of things that I'm going to read here can be things that become idle. Some of them are... Are sinful of themselves, some of them are not, but every one of these things can become an idol in some form or fashion just the the way that Israel did. If I just made twenty percent more money, then life would be so much better i 'd be in much better shape. If I just had a, a bigger house that i could I could have oh, that would be awesome, that would be amazing, or if I just had a smaller house that took uh, less to clean, I wish I, I had something different there boy, if I was just married, if I could just find someone and be married, then I would be happy. Or, boy, I'm married and I wish I wasn't, and I wish I could be single because that would be so much better. Or I wish I could find somebody else. Or if my wife, husband, kids were just more fill-in-the-blank, if they were just listen to me more, if they were just more driven, or if they were just more relaxed, or if they were just more athletic, or they were just more academic, or smarter, or fill-in-the-blank, you see what happens? Here, or if I was just more like him or her, if I just looked more like them, or if I had these qualities that that they had, or if I just had a boy a better work environment, a better job, if I was just looked different, if I just exercised more, or if the church had more people like me that saw things my way, or if there were more cool people in the church, or if there were fewer weird people in the church, you know, fill in the blank, right? You know, weird and cool is all relative, right? If we just had a nicer building, boy, if we just had better song leaders, or if we just had a better minister or preacher, whatever, fill in the blank. Do you see what can happen in those type of situations? The devil doesn't come dressed in a red cape and pointy horns. He comes in everything you've ever wished for. Think about that. Because just like Israel, we can be people sometimes as individuals or families or churches that, oh, if we could just have that... And maybe what we have right now is exactly what God wants. There is a, and I was going to get it this morning, and I I didn't grab it, but there's a little needle point that that hangs on the wall by our back door. And a lady named Carolyn Wendell made it for our family, Uh, maybe even before we had kids. We've had it in our family for a long, long time. And it says, God, thank you for showing me that my grass is green enough. I love it. I love the phrase because it teaches us something very important. If you notice, this scripture is up here, and uh, on the, the top right-hand corner of the backside of the, the church newsletter that you have, this scripture is there. And something I haven't done a good job of announcing it, but there's a scripture that, that you can memorize every month. There's a, a memory verse that we're going to put in the bulletin so you can work on it with your family and you can memorize it and you can um, do something to get God's scripture in your heart. And it says, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And my prayer is that for us, that we realize that the good life is found in accepting our circumstances wherever we are and deciding I'm going to serve God where I am. And God is enough. Amen? doesn't mean that God doesn't bring changes in our life. doesn't mean that we don't improve ourselves. It just means that wherever we're at, right now, right now, we live right there and say, God, you are God, and I will find contentment and thanksgiving right where I'm at. That's, that's a powerful spiritual concept that our world definitely needs to hear that we can sure learn from this time in the nation of Israel. If you would like prayers to the church or uh, the elders are in the back, if you'd like to become a Christian today, hey, Noah's baptized this week, Welcome, congratulations, Noah. If there's anybody else who wants to join the family of God, you can do that today. Head to the back, stand up, we'll sing uh, some songs, and we uh, will uh, uh, honor God on our way out.